Hello, this is Tim Conboy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. We are a nation under God, and I believe God intended for us to be free. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Well, seems to be the thing today, not having a mic on. Now, two years ago today, 
uh, my dad passed, and I just realized, wow, it's, this is the day. I knew this weekend, but I forgot it was today, and so, yeah, it's all good. Ah, nice weather we're having, huh? <laughs> we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, and uh, yeah, it's funny. You know, you just don't know when it's going to hit you. It's good, though. Ah. Is that right? <laughs> I am, too. Okay, we're going to get off. Yeah, I... I knew it was this day. I forgot it was Sunday. Then I'd be seeing that video. But, of course, when uh, one of the greatest patriots, Ronald Reagan, spoke, we didn't have the war in Iraq or Afghanistan. And uh, the count, countless soldiers, men and women, we've lost during even his speech there. But, uh, but I, I appreciated that video as well as the President Reagan's address. When I look for heroes, that's where they're at. Okay. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11. We're going to pick it up, verse 19. How did Pastor Travis do last week? Did you do okay? I just asked that. I, I put that question out so I could blow my nose. You wouldn't hear it on the... He's a good nose distraction. No, <laughs> no I heard he did great, and uh, we tried to tune in. We were having a little trouble at our hotel to be able to try to get on and watch. But though absent in the body, we were present in the spirit, as always, as always. Okay, did I say we're going to be in Acts chapter 11? I keep trying to get there. Okay, we're going to pick it up in verse 19. As you know, they've been in Jerusalem. They've been... Um, arguing, discussing, laying out the fact that Gentiles have now been brought into the church. And it now shifts gears from this discussion about Gentiles in Jerusalem. Now in verse 19, we're going to go 300 miles north into an area called Antioch. Scripture says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose around over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So remember, they don't realize the Gentile inclusion yet. But some of them were men of, from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyrene is North Africa, modern-day Libya. Uh, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. And so they were Jewish, but they lived in their native language was Greek rather than Hebrew or Aramaic. And so they spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. It's always interesting when you see the word turned. That means they were facing away from the Lord, even in facing religion or facing trying to be a good person or keep Ten Commandments. Whatever it was they were facing, they, when you get saved, you turn from wherever it was you're facing and you tor- turn to the Lord. The word is repent. That's what the word repent means, to turn and change direction. So they believed and repented. They turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. News travels fast, 300 miles. They finally hear it down Jerusalem. And they sent out, this is our word, apostle. And we're going to learn more of that next week. They sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. 
And when he came, he had seen the grace of God. That it's interesting to me. He didn't just hear about it; he saw it. He could see God's grace. The word is charis. He could see God's gift and God's grace in the lives of these people, and he was glad and encouraged them all that they should, with purpose of heart, that they would should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed to Tarsus to seek Paul. And when he had found him, uh, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. This is the first place we got our title known as Christians. Father, add your blessing on your word. Just fill us with your grace, your power. We thank you for the memory of those who gave their lives that we might have our freedom. But Father, we cannot neglect the fact that the greatest life that was ever given was your son's life. So that we may have our eternal freedom. And so, my Lord, I pray for those that are here today or listening over the internet that are not yet saved, have not yet surrendered, have not yet had a full knowledge that they know that they know that they've been born again. I pray for their freedom. I know the price has been paid. I know it's been a great price of your dear son. And so today I do pray that they will put their faith in your son's death on the cross and his resurrection to give to them eternal life. And so, Father, just bless this day. Help us understand your word. Help us understand what we're reading and help us to apply it to our lives. Anoint me, Lord. Fill me by your spirit and hide me behind the cross. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the thanks. For it's in that name that really is above all names. It's in that name that spoke and created the whole universe. It's in that name that our bodies come under his authority it's in whose name that this every king on this earth will someday bend a knee. And it's in whose name that every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will someday bow. And it's in that holy name of Jesus we pray. And we all said, Amen. 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 My message this morning is moving beyond your boundaries. Now, technology and I... We like each other. However, we do have our difficulties. So we're going to, uh, I'm going to try to work things from here. I want, I want you to get an idea of where we're talking. When, we're, when we read in the text that they were scattered abroad to Phoenicia, and to Cyprus, to Antioch, and then Antioch becomes the focus. If we could pull my, or is it something on my end yet? Not right? Uh-huh. I'm up. Yes. I want to give an idea. We have Africa on the bottom. You can see this dot to the center, uh, right center. That is Antioch. You see the Mediterranean. I'm going to zoom in and we're going to get a little better idea. I'm going to move it down so you can see it on your screen. All right. Lebanon. You notice this can be done on your computer, Google Earth. All right, you see, I'm trying to keep it where Jerusalem is still on your map. It's a little bit of a stretch. There we go. We're getting there. Yes. All right, so, and then Antioch, will see you can get them both out of All right, now we can see it, all right? I, I pull it. I'm, we're out a little ways because I want you to see... Down on the very bottom, well, you see Antioch on the top, right? See there, that's the red dot. On the very bottom of your screen is going to be Jerusalem. If you can see my cursor, that's Jerusalem right there. All right? See Jerusalem? It's almost straight north, about 300 miles. Here's what we miss oftentimes. We're reading the first part of the chapter. We're in, what, where were we in the first half of the chapter? Starts with a J and sounds like Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Good. We're in Jerusalem in verse 18. Then verse 19, we are in Antioch. We're 300 miles away. 
People do not travel that fast. It takes time to get where you're going. And it says that some not only were in, left Jerusalem, but they also fled and they went to a couple different areas. They went, it said Phoenicia. You can see modern day Lebanon. You see Lebanon right here where my finger is. Modern day Lebanon is the coast of Lebanon. You have Tyre, Sidon, and then Beirut. That is right along the coast of Lebanon. That is the area known as Phoenicia. The Phoenicians actually would encircle the Mediterranean. So they'll be across North Africa, and they'll be up along the eastern coast of the Mediterranean. Um, I think it's kind of funny because uh, Phoenicia is a Greek word, it's a Greek term, which means purple people. Sometimes we have Phoenicians here, I see, once in a while. Depends what hairdo is going on. They extracted purple dye from crustaceans, and they, their hands are always purple. Their, their skin would be purple. So Phoenicia means purple people. And I don't know if they were purple people eaters, but that's what they were. They, picked up the, they actually picked up the Babylonian um, belief system, which then will also be part of the Egyptian. Now, that island there to the left is Cyprus. This is where Barnabas, remember we met Barnabas uh, back in uh, chapter 5? Barnabas came from Cyprus. He was a Levite. He did not belong in Cyprus. He was a Levite. He was of the priestly tribe. He belonged in Israel. Whether he or his family moved to Cyprus, we don't know. But we do know that Barnabas left Cyprus, moved his residence back down to Israel. And then he's going to then leave and go north up into Antioch. So he is from this, the region of Cyprus. And you hear a lot about the Cypriots right now with the banking system and so forth. Or at least you used to. Now what I want to show you is when I zoom in... And it's hard to do on just flat pictures, so I wanted to actually use Google Earth where you could see it. I know you guys use this all the time at home, I'm sure. It's fun. You can even go Google Sky. You see where Antioch is there at the bottom of your screen? Right here? Can you see this where my cursor is, this area right here? You see the mountains come down through this region, and right there is a pass. This pass is known as the gateway to the east. On the other side, this is all part of modern-day Turkey. On the other side of Turkey is Istanbul. And Istanbul is known as the gateway to the west. So if you were going to head west, you would pass through Istanbul. And, of course, Dwight, who used to live in Istanbul, probably saw a lot of traffic going through, heading to the west. So Istanbul is to the far west of Turkey. But if you were going from Turkey and you're going to head east, you would go down to this valley area just north of Antioch, just outside of Antioch. And I'm zooming in because, you know, we look and we say, oh, you know, on a flat map, we're just like, oh, that's nice. You know, we've got a few mountains there. But... I don't know if you can really tell the definition, but the terrain is quite treacherous uh, to the north. And so I'm going to take my little guy here. I'm going to put him on the road heading to... Well, it looks like I stuck him off the road a little bit. It's all right. It's all right. On this route, I want you to see... Oh, I did stick them off the route. Sorry. Ta-da. Did I drop them on the right road? There we are. East 91. On East 91 is the route that would take you through the mountains. I actually, um, he's just now approaching these mountains. So when they traveled out of this area, Antioch is known as the Christian Portal. So in other words, all Christianity went out of this region and, what's that? God bless you. Oh, it works so well at home. Actually, it worked well on the, on the uh, 
map. But I wanted you to see the terrain of where they walked through. Because even though Antioch, Antioch is now going to become the springboard, the base of operation. This is where God is going to send Christianity through the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, it was so effective. They, these people are so effective in that area that they started calling them little anointed ones. Christ means anointed. And so they were known as little anointed ones, Christians. And it was such a tagline to them because of their lifestyle. They could see the grace of God, the power of God in their life. They said, man, these guys are little anointed ones. And that name, that title stuck such a, in such a way that thousands of years later, here we are today known as little anointed ones. Now the question is, do we just bear the title or do we bear the lifestyle as well as little anointed ones? That's what we are called to do and to be. Now, I'm going to, if you were Barnabas, remember Barnabas is going to travel up to Antioch and he is going to be there for a short time and then he's going to go get Paul. Where is Paul at? No. Tarsus. Tarsus, Turkey. Remember in the text, he went to Tarsus to get Paul. If you could see the, I want you to see exactly what he had to do to get there. All right. So do you see what he does? He goes north from Antioch, cuts across that mountain pass, and then he goes along the shore, and then Tarsus is over to the left side of center map. Now, it only takes just under three hours to get there. Oh, I'm sorry, that's my car. If you were to take uh, Route 91, you could be there in three hours. If you were to walk this route and it kept a steady pace, it would take you 46 hours. So when we read about Barnabas went and got Saul at Tarsus, this is at least a two-day walk. And it's not like there were the highways to walk and the sidewalks. I mean, he had to be committed to walk on treacherous roads and where where, you know, you didn't have pit stops along the way in restaurants and all this necessarily. I mean, this was a rugged journey to get up and then up and over this pass and then back down to, to the next town, which is along the shore. And so Barnabas said, you know what? I really need Saul with us. I'm going to go get him. So he, he takes a two-day journey there. He'll spend time looking for Saul. And then he's going to talk Saul into taking a two-day hike back with him to head back to Tarsus, or to Antioch. Now, if you think that hike is interesting, I don't know, did anyone think that hike was interesting? If you were to travel today, well, let's back up. When they went to Antioch, they left from Jerusalem. You see the, the bottom of the curve, Israel's to the right of the Mediterranean. It's approximately 300 miles north. You remember, they headed north. They got up to Damascus. And Saul was threatening, and, and he's going to murder these guys. So he gets letters from a priest, and he heads up to Damascus, the capital of modern-day Syria. And so he gets about 120 miles north of Jerusalem, as far as Damascus. He gets saved. The Lord converts him, changes his life, and then he, he stops at that point. But you've got to remember, Christians have been fleeing now. Because time-wise, we're about 13 to 15 years into the church existence. Since the day of Pentecost, about 15 years have passed by. And during this time period, these people uh, have been uprooted because of the persecution of Stephen, because of Saul, and they started fleeing. And when you start fleeing an area, it doesn't take you like 48 hours to walk there. You're going 300 miles north. You're going up to the next area where you feel is safe, which is probably up near Damascus, till they heard Saul was coming. Then they had to go to the next area where they felt was safe, which was probably over to the coast of Phoenicia, or then someone up north up to Antioch. You follow what I'm saying? So they would go so far, they'd rest some. They didn't all just decide in Jerusalem, hey, you know what? I don't know. What about you? What do you want? You want to just go to Antioch? Sure, let's go to Antioch. 
No, they were fleeing, they'd stop. They'd move, they'd stop. They were being pursued. And so they would take a route, essentially straight north up to Antioch. Now, how long do you think it would take to get from Antioch to Jerusalem? Whoops. How long? Any guess? All right, let's stay with cars. How long in cars? If you were to drive, it's a 300 mile drive. Five hours, three hours. Okay, pretty good. Some on grace, some on law. Now, this is not your wife giving you directions. Just teasing. If you were in Antioch today and you wanted to drive to Jerusalem, it would take you 46 hours by car. You cannot drive. In other words, you can't get there from here. You could fly in 5 hours and 10 minutes. But if you were to try to drive from Antioch in Turkey to Jerusalem, they, they would force you to go across that pass, then down through Syria, around into Iraq, through the desert. I mean, not a lot of pit stops there. Then back down, always around Jordan, through northern uh, Saudi Arabia. You would then cut through the desert of Saudi Arabia. You would then have to take a ferry across the Red Sea, go north through Egypt, catch another ferry across, and then come up through the Sinai Desert up into Jerusalem. I think I'd fly. That is really, that is the only way you could drive there from Antioch to Jerusalem today. Now, some of you adventurous ones, you like hiking, so... You could hike, hike there. Oh no, this is the this is the. Uh, is this the boat? Oh no, this is the yeah. This is the hike one. To hike there, you have to. It'll take you seven hundred and fifteen hours. You have to take a boat, literally, over to Libya. You have to take the boat over to Libya, and then you would have to walk across North Africa. You'd have to walk across northern Egypt and then across Sinai Desert around the Gaza Strip and then you'd have to come up through, through the Sinai Desert if you were to walk there. They wouldn't let you walk any other way through. Is, is that kind of... We, we have a hard time... You have a hard time comprehending that? Because, well, one, Hezbollah, which is in Lebanon today and that area of, of uh, Syria, they won't let them travel through. You can't go through. If you're Israeli, you're not going to go through. If you're just tra- trying to tra- travel through, you're not going to go through. They say, no, you can't get there from here. Remember, Antioch is in modern-day Turkey, and you can't just take a boat from modern-day Turkey at this time into a seaport of Antioch, or let's say Tel Aviv. They're, they're going to make you, even if you go by boat, they're going to make you go all the way over uh, to past the uh, Tripoli. Over. Actually, this is pretty close to Benghazi. So... It's kind of interesting when you see on the map, at least in my opinion, when you start seeing on the map what we're talking about when we talk about traveling in our text from one area to the next. And now, it was much easier, if we can use that term back in those days, to travel from the south. There's Damascus right on the bottom, straight north to Holmes, and straight up to modern-day uh, Antioch. Now what you can't see, that red dot of Antioch, if you go due west, excuse me, due east, uh, approximately 40 miles, there is a city called Aleppo. Anybody ever heard of Aleppo? So a lot of battles are going on today. And so the fighting that's going on there in Aleppo and, and there in that region, we can, we can take it off our, our screen there. I wanted you to see this because... I wanted you to realize that the strategic location of what God is doing and where God is placing them. And many, many of the Christians that went up there, started uh, churches there, are there today for a limited time. 
especially if you go anywhere east of there into Aleppo because of ISIS and so forth and the battles, many of the Christians that are left there, the, the actual strategic launch pad of Christianity uh, is getting wiped out. I mean, it's been getting wiped out. That region, that whole area and that whole region uh, where the Gentiles heard the gospel from is the, the area that's under attack. So this is the launch pad. I want you to see it because this is going to be very important in chapters to come. And everything's going to seem to happen in Antioch. The time schedule is around 45 to 47 AD. Um, in about 25 years, Jerusalem is going to get wiped out. Temple's going to be destroyed. Christians and, and Jews will be crucified all up and down all the streets. All the Roman roads will be uh, layered, just row after row after row of crosses uh, with people hanging on them when the Romans come down. But right now, at this point in history, God is moving the church body, these believers, and He's moving them up out of, if you will, harm's way, up into Antioch. And Antioch is going to become this uh, launch pad. You say, well, why did they get away with this? Why, did, you know, why were they allowed to continue to travel and move up here? And the reason is because Claudius Caesar, who was a Caesar at the time, and you'll learn in verse 48, while he was Caesar, guess what Caesar was busy doing at this time in our text? It's not in our text, but guess what he was doing in the world? Guess what he was doing as he expanded the Roman Empire? Guess where he was trying to expand it? That's right, Britain, for whoever's thought it. He, he is, with his troops and navy, he's way over in the British Isles. At this time, he's trying, trying to take modern-day Britain. At this time, he's trying to take the, the you know, we know Scotland and, and Ireland, bless the Lord. And he's trying to take this whole area. So that Rome's over here. Well, let's see, as you're looking, Rome's over here. Beating up the, the modern-day Brits in that area. While over here, God is doing a work, moving His people, moving the launch pad out of harm's way, if you will. So the, the Christians back home, this Jewish religious group that he hears of, is simply an annoyance to him right now. It's like, I can't be bothered with those guys. Don't you know I'm trying to conquer Britain? If I don't conquer Britain, they'll, they'll conquer the world. <laughs> well, we won't go there. But they, so the Roman Empire is going always up in, in Britain at this time. They're going to go way up north into modern day Russia. I mean, this, all of Europe is going to be coming under Roman rule. Uh, but right now, what's, what God is doing is moving his people down here and out of Jerusalem, which will soon be in harm's way uh, up into Antioch. The climate. Just a little heads up, the climate at this time in, in AD 46, AD 47, a great famine will hit Israel. Israel will be under famine. There won't be any food. There are people going to be out of work. There's going to be a lot of, of difficulty, not only to the Christians, but to the non-Christians in that area. And so we're, we'll see by the end of the chapter that there is going to be relief sent to them. Now, as far as the church setting, I'm laying all this stuff out because it's important for us to understand all the components that are going on. Two major things have happened in the church now in the past 13 to 15 years. One, well, let's say three. The church has started the day of Pentecost. But the second major thing was a persecution led by the Jewish leaders through Saul to go after Stephen. This verse 19 will cite the event around Stephen and what took place there with the scattering and the persecution. The second major thing that's going to take place is the Gentiles are now being introduced to the church. So before the base of operation is moved, Israel, Jerusalem, recognizes the Gentiles in Caesarea, Cornelius, Gentiles are part of the body. They're baptized by the Holy Spirit. They receive the same gift as we did, uh, Barnabas says, or, or Paul, Peter says. So they, they recognize this. Now, they recognize it reluctantly. They're not all yay, yay, yay for the Gentiles. But at least right now, it's established. They say, okay, we see therein God's work in there. Up in Antioch, word hasn't got there yet. As far as they know, it's the gospel is only to the Jews. They've only preached to the Jews. In Antioch, they have found hundreds and hundreds of Jews living up there. And they gave the gospel to them. 
And hundreds of Jews have been saved. As a matter of fact, you'll see the word great, a great number used at least three times in our text. It'll be three different words for great in our text. Great as in poly, multiple, great as in uh, numerical, uh, great as in mega. And so here goes Antioch starting the first mega church. No, it's not the first. It's about the third or fourth. But there was a mega group of people getting saved. Now, he say, okay, pastor, you just like history. You just like these things and what's going on. I don't tell you this just so that you could have a bunch of worthless facts that you won't use. I mean, I, I have a lot of that in my head if you ever need any. I do. I have a lot of worthless information. I tell you this because I want you to realize that these are real people in a real time setting. And there was real things going on around them, geopolitical and, and, and the, the government of Rome and what they were doing and, and what the religious leaders were doing. But what strikes me the most when I look at this is that Antioch, this little city at the time of Antioch, now modern day in, in modern day Turkey, uh, will become that springboard. It will become the strategic location. But what strikes me the most out of all this text that I'm reading is that it was established as a launch pad, but not by the twelve apostles. The twelve apostles did not establish the church at Antioch. They went up and helped it. Barnabas will go up. Paul, the 13th apostle, if you will, the apostle of Gentiles is going to come over and help them. But they're not the ones that started. Everyday people like you and I, everyday Christians, went up to this area that were so anointed by God, so on fire for God, so determined by God, that they went up there and they said, you know what, we are going to do the same thing here that just got us kicked out of down there. You know, you know why they're in, in, in you know why they're in Antioch? Say that three times fast. You know why they're in Antioch? Because they've been hunted, because they're being pursued. You know, you and I, we can look at this and we can say, well, oh, it's good to move beyond our borders. It's good to expand our borders. It's it's good to to think outside the box. But oftentimes we forget what put us outside the box? What caused us to expand our borders? Let me tell you what does not cause you and I to step out of our comfort zone. Let, us tell, let me tell you what causes us not to step outside of our borders. And by the way, by borders I mean anything that hems you in. What in your life is hemming you in? What is a fence around you? What is it that you just can't seem to get beyond? Maybe it's past memories or something that have become a border to you and a blockade to you. Maybe it's your job situation. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe there's something in your life that has become a border, a line of demarcation that says, this is how far you're going to go, and you stay within that box. But yet, you don't really want to stay within that box at times. Sometimes you want to step beyond it and expand those borders. But you feel hemmed in. What is it that causes us to go beyond the border? I'll tell you what it isn't. It's not comfort. It's often crisis. They don't call it the comfort zone for nothing. Pretty deep, huh? They call it the comfort zone. Why? Because we are comfortable. We're good. We're here. We're all right. We may not like it. Yeah, I don't know. Can I, can I step out? Do I need... What's hemming me in? Is it my education? Is it my job? Is it, is it my own memories of the past? What is it? Is it, is it ways I've been treated that have become a, a, something that's hemming me in? Am I just being comfortable with that? Well, friends, oftentimes God uses something that is uncomfortable to move us beyond the boundary. To say, you know what, this is not good, uh, what's happening to me. And, and when I look at these people here, it wasn't like they just decided to go set up a, a new launch pad for Christianity. They had crisis going on. They had difficulty going on. 
I have a feeling they did not want to run. I have a feeling they did not want to move. I had a feeling they did not want to have to pull their families up. I had a feeling that they did not want to relocate and look for another job. I have a feeling that wherever they were at, it was not a time in their mind, on their schedule, in their day planner, to say, you know what, let's go beyond our borders and go somewhere else. But crisis came into their life. Difficulty came into their life. And challenges came into their life. If we are ever going to move beyond our borders... Oftentimes, it's going to be the challenges that are going to come at you. It's going to be a difficulty. It may be financial. You may lose everything. You may lose a job. You thought, wow, I never dreamed I was going to lose that job. You may, may lose a spouse, and you, and you never dreamed you'd be in this place in life. You may have been in this box so long that you don't ever even plan on getting out of this box. But an all-powerful God wants to do work in your life that you will never see until you get outside of the box. Listen, we, the problem is this, friends. We have made our all-present God to fit in the size of our box. And as long as God can work in our box, we're good. We forget that He's beyond our box. He's beyond our boundaries, beyond our borders. He's beyond our limitations. And He says, I want you to come with me. I want you to follow me. I am moving this way. I am doing this thing in your life. I am leading you. But I need you to follow me. And oftentimes in my life, it's that gentle, loving, prod that moves me along. I'll tell you, there's times that uh, you know and I know that we get in a place that unless something difficult happened, we weren't moving. We were just content with it or we were just going to stay there. You see, in verse 7 we were, or 19, we were told the whole reason they moved. Isn't it interesting? God says, here's... Here's what caused them to go beyond their their borders. And he said that they were scattered after the persecution that arose around Stephen and they traveled. Stephen, well, you know, I was going to go back to chapter 6 and read the text, but we'll we'll not go back to chapter 6. In chapter 6, remember, there were difficulties with the widows being fed and the responsibility was seeming to fall into the apostles. They delegate. And they say, okay, choose from you seven men that we may appoint over this business of taking care of the widows. And you'll go down through and you'll read all these names of Jews that were going to minister in the church. But they were all Hellenistic. They all spoke Greek. The, the widows were Greek speakers. They were Hellenistic widows. And so these men that they were chosen uh, were chosen to take care of the widows. That's where our word deacon comes from. Literally means table waiters. They were willing to wait tables. They were willing to serve others. And so here this group of men and then many, many others, they started moving beyond ministering to the widows to then ministering to people all around them. And then you're going to read in that chapter, in verse 8, where Stephen, there'll be many signs and wonders and miraculous things will be done at the hand of Stephen. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. You're supposed to be waiting tables. Wait a minute. You're, no, no. Your ministry description was to take care of the widows. Now, I don't believe they neglected the widows. They did what they were called to do, but they weren't limited to that. They stepped beyond even the ministry boundaries and said, you know what? I'm not here just to do this ministry and stay within this box. I am here as a servant of the Most High God. I am here to proclaim Jesus. I am here to be little Jesus to other people. I am here to let God anoint me and work through me and work signs, if He will, and work miracles, if He will. I am here to do what God wants me to do as I minister to these widows that was their mindset and they had it early on there in Jerusalem there in in Samaria in the area they had this mindset so when the persecution came and one of their own were taken dragged outside and pummeled to death by stones 
They had a decision to make. Are we going to keep silent and be safe? Or are we going to speak up and stay in jeopardy? And it was their decision way down in Israel, way down in, in, in the, the region of Judea and Samaria and Galilee. It was their decision down there not to play it safe, but to keep doing the very thing that put them in harm's way. That's caused the, the crisis and the difficulty to come and start moving. When I look at this text, I describe their character with one word. Perseverance. Perseverance. Perseverance, according to Webster, is this. Steadfastness in doing something. Despite difficulty and delay in achieving it's success. Steadfastness in doing something. Despite the difficulty and delay in achieving its success. In other words, when it started, it didn't look very successful. Man, they're taking them out and stoning them to death. That doesn't look really good. It doesn't look like fun things are happening. And then the prosecuting attorney, Saul, starts hunting them down. And then they start moving out. And yet, because they were full on for Jesus, because they said, you know what? We are, we're not here just for the comfort. We are here to do what Jesus called us to do. And we're going to keep proclaiming, and we're going to keep moving, even though one of our own was then taken. And, and then they, this difficulty caused them to spread out up to Damascus, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and eventually Antioch. But can you imagine the difficulty that they had to go through to do that? I mean, if I told you right now, hey guys, they're coming. We got to get out of here. And by the way, you may hear that someday from here. They're, they're coming. We got to get out of here. We got to start spreading out. There may be persecution. There will be persecution. The closer we get to the Lord's return, there will be, and there already is starting persecution. We're not seeing as much in our persecution to us as being called names, being looked over for a job promotion. That's not persecution. These guys had persecution. 7,100 Christians were just put to death last year just in this area of Syria alone. Christians. And they were trying to flee. And by the way, I am ashamed. I am ashamed of our country from the president and the administration that when Christians flee this same area of Aleppo, Antioch, Syria, and come to this country as immigrants that they are the ones that are rounded back up and shipped back. Shame on us. They are sending the Christians back into the, and the, the Kurds back that are believers. They're sending the Christians from this whole area. Any Christian that wants to immigrate here, they're getting rounded up. And I've seen it. I've read it. I've, I've researched it. It's not just the, the fable thing. And, and when they get rounded up, they say, no, this is not religious asylum. And they send them back. And yet they're the ones that are getting their heads lobbed off by ISIS. It should be religious asylum. <laughs> it's more than just political. Let me tell you, to them, there is no difference between political and religious asylum. Between the political and religious system, there's no difference to them. It's all one and the same. And so shame on us. Shame on our president. And shame on the administration. I just say that. Well... I do not say shame on our military. You understand that? I do not say shame on our military. Bless our military. But shame on the fact that Christians getting thrown right back into the very thing that the, the ISIS and others are after. And, uh, and, and you, you just see thousands and hundreds of thousands that are being displaced and killed over there every day in the area where Christianity even got its name. That was a sidebar. But it's the truth, right? But could you imagine running because you wouldn't keep silent? Because you chose to persevere even through the difficulty? Because you said, you know what? God's called me to do something that's greater. And I'm not going to give up. And I'm not going to go back. And these were everyday people. They were not the 12 apostles. They were not super Christians, if you will, in the namesake. 
They were not big name evangelists that traveled up here. You know who these guys were? They were babes in Christ. We're talking somebody who's only years, months in the Lord. Very new, early on believers. Babes in Christ that refused to give up, refused to give in, and refused to go back. Despite the difficulties, despite the delays, and today Antioch became the launch pad to all of Christianity throughout the Gentile nation because of them today. And that's why we're told in Hebrews 1, the second half of that verse, that we are to run the race with perseverance, with endurance. Run it. The race that is set before us. You and I have a race set before us. And God calls us to run it. And to run it with perseverance. And perseverance means you run it. And when it's difficult to run, you run it when there's delays and it doesn't seem like it's happening when it should. You just stay the course and you just keep going. Because friends, some of you are praying for things and it has not happened yet. Will you give up or are you going to still persevere? Some of you have been waiting for God to move and He has not moved yet. And you wonder, well, He's not going to do this, so we give up. And I believe with all my heart, we give up moments before the miracle arrives. I, I believe that. We give up moments before because our perseverance level has been lessened. We live in a soft culture. We live in a soft culture. We live in a soft Christian culture. We, we live in a culture where, where the church is, is getting so apostate out there that anything and everything goes. Couldn't believe it. I saw a picture of the, you know, the, the naked cowboy that plays guitar in his underwear on the platform with the pastors at Hillsong in his attire playing his guitar in New York. What in the world's happening? What's happening? We have so diluted and watered down Christianity that that kind of nonsense is okay? Listen, that's nonsense. It's no wonder those of other religious groups look at us and say, those guys are crazy. Oftentimes, the church at large acts crazy. And we have no internal biblical convictions anymore. And we don't want to persevere. And we don't want to stand in the truth. And we want to cave and we want to get soft. And we want to be politically correct. Listen, I don't care if I'm PC. I want to be BC. I want to be biblically correct. Amen? That's perseverance. Don't get perseverance mixed up with stubbornness. Some think they're persevering because they're stubborn. No. (laughs) Stubbornness is a refusal to change one's attitude or position even in the face of facts or reason. That's stubbornness. Perseverance is refusal to change in spite of difficulties and delays. You see a difference? Stubbornness is hooked to pride. Perseverance is hooked to belief. You believe something with all your heart They say, you know what? They said, I believe that Jesus Christ is worth proclaiming. Even if they chase me out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, out of Damascus, out of Phoenicia, out of Antioch, I believe Jesus Christ is worth pursuing. And I will keep pursuing him. And friends, the closer we get to Christ's return, the more we are going to need to have a strong personal perseverance. And it's going to be the difficulties in your life that you face today and the delays in your life that you face today that will weave perseverance into the fabric of your character. If you balk against it, you will not persevere. You will cave. If you allow it to be woven into your character, to just say, you know what? I am going to trust God no matter what comes. All these difficulties, everything that says it's not going to happen, I'm going to trust God that it's going to happen. And I'm telling you one thing, I don't care what anyone else says out there, I believe with all my heart Jesus Christ is coming back and will set up His kingdom on earth. I believe it. And I believe we're getting closer. And we are getting closer to that fact. But if you don't start learning to be steadfast now, and you don't start building your perseverance now, you will not persevere when the real difficulty comes. 
And you will not persevere when the real delays come. And you will not persevere when the real struggles come. And yes, I do believe they will and they are coming to America. It's just a matter of time. And it's accelerating very quickly. You and I, friends, when you see the difficulties in your life, rather than be upset and complain because everybody else is doing fine, they all seem to be having fun, and you have all these difficulties, listen, you say, you know what? If nothing else, I'm going to learn to persevere through this. I'm going to learn to trust God through this. And I'm going to ask God to build my perseverance because I believe that He is worthy of my perseverance. So friends, when we look at this text, I don't want you to just jump from a discussion in Jerusalem in verse 18 to, okay, now we're in Antioch, verse 19. I want you to travel in your mind with these people. What they did, what caused them to do what they did, how they ended up where they were at, and the very fact that the same thing that caused them distress in Jerusalem is the same thing they were doing in Antioch. So nothing stopped them. Unstoppable faith. Is that going to be you? Will that be you? I'll tell you what. I would like to think that I'm brave enough (laughs) if a sword were put to my neck and I'm given the choice to either denounce Christianity and accept Islam or get the sword to the neck. I trust by God's grace, I'll be say, cut along the dotted line. Cut along the dotted line, because I am not giving up on Jesus. And I trust that'll be the same for you. And you say, well, that, that would never happen. Isn't it kind of funny, the book of Revelation said that that's exactly what's going to happen? And they say, no, that wouldn't happen in this day and age. Well, it's happening in this day and age. Perseverance. Stand with me. Maybe today, maybe today, As we think of the Memorial Day, we think of those who gave their lives for our freedom. Maybe today's the day you say, you know what? There was a song that was once written, Am I a soldier of the cross, a fowler of the Lamb? We have to ask, am I a soldier of the cross? Am I going to persevere through hardship and hard times? Maybe there's difficulty in your life today. Right now, I'm going to ask the ministry team to come. I'm going to ask you to come. You've been waiting for something. You've been waiting for answer prayer and it's not happening. I'm asking you to come today. You've been waiting for a difficulty to be moved. And God's saying, no, I'm not moving a difficulty. I'm trying to move you. You come. You need prayer today. You come. You need healing today. You come. You come. You need to just recommit and rededicate that life to Christ. Altar's open. You lay it down. Need to be saved? Great day to be saved. You come. God's calling you today. You come. As others are coming, you come. Make that commitment. Make that perseverance decision today. Today's the day. Drawing that line in the sand. God's calling you today. What is hemming you in? Something is in somebody's way today. You got to deal with it. You come. Before we sing the next stanza, I feel like God is calling somebody to do something. But they see an obstacle in front of them that they just are afraid that they can't get past. I don't know what it is or what it pertains to. But I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to say, you know what? I can, by God's grace, I can get past this obstacle. I want you to know that God knows. He's calling you today. Today's the day. You know if it's there. You know right now if in your mind you're battling that. 
You need to come and let it go. Let it go. As we sing this next stanza, you come. So lay down your burdens. Father, do your work, Lord. Move in our Lay down your sin. Oh, move on. God's calling you. You come. You come. There's folks that will be here to pray for you. Don't worry about that. You just come. Father, as we come before you, we believe your son's return is imminent. Could be a hundred years, could be a hundred days. We don't know. We know it's soon. But I pray that you would put steel in our backbone. You would put our shoulders back and our head high. That we are not ashamed to be called Christians. We are not ashamed of difficulties or delays or distress that may come against us. That we will stand tall for Christ no matter what. Even like these believers chased to the uttermost parts of the world. We thank you because of their perseverance that today we as Gentiles, even on this continent, know Christ as our Savior. Use us, fortify us, strengthen us for your glory. In Jesus' name we request and ask this for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Lord bless you. If you need prayer, we're here for you. You come. Let us pray for you.